Hello and welcome to the Tripcast. This is Renu Kator, President and Chancellor of the University of Houston. You know, we have worked very, very, very hard to become a Tier 1 university and it's all paying off. I finally get to do a Tier 1 thing to introduce Reeve Hamilton. So, here is your host, Reeve Hamilton. Go Cougs, go Reeve. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the second week of September. Joining me is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. I think the way you say editor is really interesting. He says it with a certain amount of um, disdain. Disdain. (laughs) (laughs) I almost think it's like almost like a rolled R. It's funny because I can't roll my R's. Huh. Well, you're close. Okay, well, <laughs> see to as it. long as you don't confuse it with respect, then we're all set. <laughs> respect. respect. <laughs> Luckily, Ben Philpott doesn't edit anything. He just hosts Agenda Texas for KUT in the Texas Tribune, and he is also here. Hi. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Talk about lack of excitement. I expected a roll tide there. <laughs> roll tide? I can do that, too. Uh, I'll be at Texas A&M watching that game as a when is that game Alabama Saturday? alumni. It's a Saturday, yep. Great. Speaking of universities. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got five seconds of sports in. Okay, let's go. Speaking of universities, the U.S. News and World Report University Rankings came out this week. And Ben, how many top 50 universities do you think Texas has? Hmm. Uh, one. It has one. That was right. Just wow. one? Yeah, for the first time in many years, Texas only has one top 50 university. UT Austin dropped from... 45th or 46th down to uh, 52nd. They changed is, the ranking, right? They changed the, they changed the, the weight of S, incoming SAT and ACT scores. Yeah, so the, the hang-up. And so you see A&M also... I'm a high school senior. I'm really up on this stuff. Mm-hmm. A&M also <laughs> dropped a few spots down from... Oh, I forget where they were. They're in the 60s. But um, Rice is the only one in the top 50, correct? Yeah, it's number 18. That's pretty high. A&M yeah, is, dropped from 65th to 69th. If you take out the, yeah, that's Rice, that's, that's Rice it, is right. a fearsome beastie. It's a really good school. It's and, 18th, and it but it dropped. It was 17th last year, but it and it was tied with um, a little school called Vanderbilt University. Oh. But no, how does Vanderbilt do? Vanderbilt. It is no longer tied. Now Vanderbilt is 17th and Rice is 18th. And no, that's that's no really wonder you wanted Vanderbilt to talk has come about up this since you left. Is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> Vanderbilt's risen in the rankings since. Can't wait young to see Reed what happens to the Texas Tribune after you leave. It'll move up to number 17. That's why he says editor like that. No, but Ross is right. What happened is um, uh, U.S. News and World Report changed their rankings so that uh, SAT and ACT scores count more and your incoming students' class rankings in high school count less. That seems like a bad decision. Uh, Well, it's because a lot of public schools now don't – They've stopped ranking. They don't don't do class rankings, so it doesn't make any sense. And also SAT and ACT seem to be more important – admissions criteria elsewhere in the country. The thing is, in Texas, for schools like UT, Austin, and Texas A&M, they have to accept, uh, in UT Austin's case, almost all of their class based entirely on class rank with no regard to uh, standardized test scores. Well, and it, yeah, it, it's a standard score across the entire country. So that's, I guess, they, are, they would think that's a more equal uh, way to evaluate then, you know, if you, you could be in the top 10 of a class of 50 or the top 10 of a class of 300, and right. it's just harder to figure that out. I'm going to sort of uh, 
So so the top 10% rule sort of is hurting the uh, the Texas public flagships at least in, in the, the US news and report well, and I can well, tell you you know after kind of important after having been on the college tour circuit for a little bit with my daughter the um, the colleges seem to sort of really hate some of them hate it, but they use it. Some of them hate it, but they mm-hmm. don't use it. But they really hate this U.S. news thing. They, oh, well, yeah. this, um, it's the whole ranking system and all the messes with their marketing. The uh, fr- before I went to Alabama, the first school I went to was Birmingham Southern, and my freshman class was the first class after they got ranked the number one liberal arts school in the South uh, from U.S. News and World Report. And that freshman class was twice the size of any of their other incoming freshman classes that they had ever had. Right, and they don't pay. You know, the universities say they hate it, but they don't hate it when it you know ranks them in the top fifty, and they can splash it all over their literature. Oh, Birmingham Southern was. I mean, everything you got in the mail said number one in the in the South. Right. Well, they like everyone likes the rankings that they rank higher in. And but uh, Arnie Dunker, Arnie Duncan, the uh, education secretary, just railed against U.S. News and World Report rankings recently at a thing. But uh, and there there are other competitors like Washington Monthly has their rankings now and they're more geared whereas US News is more about sort of prestige uh, Washington Monthly is more about like what good do you do socially it's well, about they're low all, income they're all about students, economic mobility and you know what, how much community from, service right. do students do uh, and A&M and UTEP right. UT El Paso are both in the top 10 in Washington Monthly and then you see so UT Austin, which is 52nd in U.S. News, is number 25th in the world in the Times Higher Education Rankings, which come out of London. So it really is all totally yep. arbitrary. The thing is, U.S. News World Report is the one that it's still sort of the standard bearer for the public, I think. Maybe yeah. we need to do a Texas Tribune college rankings. Oh, no, 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 no. Put Reeve in charge. That'd be a good way to get a lot of people pissed off. <laughs> Vanderbilt would be number one, I think. No, no, no. These are only Texas universities in our study. Oh, in our city. In our study. (laughs) Oh, study. (laughs) In our city. Um, That would be small. I'm looking good. (laughs) When I went to college, really, my only motivation. Back in the day, right? Yeah. I'm about to go to my one of my reunions. I'm not going to tell you which one. Fifth. (laughs) You're getting close. (laughs) Fourth. But when I was looking at colleges, I mean, I had a few things I wanted to be uh, south, and I didn't want to – well, I didn't want to be in New England. But other than that, it was really just what is the highest-ranked school in US, U.S. News and World Report that I can get into is my only criteria. It was? More or less. That is really I could pretend like it was other things, but that was really uh, what it At was. least you had a criteria. I mean, a lot of, a, a lot of students – a lot of students that, uh, don't really have a criteria. They're sort of like, oh, that sounds pretty good. See, I, I, think, I was kind of unconscious looking at college. I think just, U.S. News had a big impact on where I went to school, too. I mean, I, yeah. Hmm. Had no impact on where I went to school. Yeah, I, I think Northwestern was unranked. Maybe. No, I'm just kidding. I just didn't, it's not in our post because it's not in our city, as you said. Well, this, this, <laughs> this suddenly took an ugly turn. <laughs> Uh, started with the editor. Uh, <laughs> What's this podcast about anyway? Well, now let's let's make it about Dan Morales. Why don't we? Dan Morales has resurfaced. He sent a letter to but who, the, who, who the heck is, is Dan Morales? Is Dan, Dan Morales. Morales is a former state attorney general, gubernatorial candidate, House um, Ways and Means chairman. He was at one time um, kind of the leading contender among you know in conversation anyway about you know which Hispanic. Texas Democrat is most likely to be the first Hispanic governor. You know, he was sort of in that running. And he ended up in federal prison instead. So uh, not him then. No, so not him. Yeah. Um, he went to prison after some stuff that came up around the state's tobacco lawsuit. Texas was one of a bunch of states that sued the tobacco companies on the grounds that um, 
the state was providing state and federal money to take care of people who were basically victims of the products of the tobacco companies. Mm -hmm. And the tobacco companies ended up settling this case, in Texas's case, for $15 billion to the state, $2.3 billion to cities and counties, and $3.2 billion in settlement money to the five attorneys who settled the case on behalf of the state. Morales had brought in five external attorneys. And he's now out of prison, and he has sent a letter to attorney, current Attorney General Greg Abbott that says that um, there is a bunch of sealed material in federal court that if it were opened and if the Attorney General were to look through it, he might find reason to argue for forfeiture of the money going to those attorneys that might should might that's instead the two billion? go to the state. That's or the three point two billion. Three point two billion. Do we have any idea what that? sealed material that could we lead to that? We do not. Is. We do not. I mean, sort of the general idea here, there's a there's a lawsuit that doesn't have anything to do with tobacco that's sort of the supporting lawsuit for this. And, and it has to do with the duty of attorneys. And if you have more than one client, are you taking care of all of your clients first or yourself first? And and sort of the 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 idea here is that the attorneys were working on a universal settlement with a bunch of other states, and they might have this, this is kind of hinted at. It's not because it's in sealed documents. You can't get right to it. But uh, the implication is that the lawyers were maximizing their return instead of their client's return and and so might ought to forfeit some of their client money. Right. Abbott hasn't opened this because Morales had this letter. This was weird how this kind of went down. Morales had this cover letter that went with this package of documents that he sent over to Greg Abbott's office. They hand-delivered it over there, and he gave us a copy of the letter and in reporting on it, you know, I called the attorney general's office and they said, we haven't seen it yet. Um, and I flipped them a copy of the letter, like, you know, just a commonplace. Here's, a, here's the letter I'm asking you to comment on. And they looked at the letter and because it referred to sealed documents, they looked at the package that they hadn't opened yet and said, we're not going to open a package that might have sealed documents in it. So they sent it back. <laughs> so if they won't open, I Weird. mean, you, you just cost the state $3.2 billion. Yeah, yeah I know. Way to go, Ross. <laughs> So if they if the AG's office I mean who's in a position to actually potentially do something about this? I mean Morales is a Democrat, you know, there's not really a huge probably incentive for Abbott to open those documents or pursue it. So what happens well, if, now? If the state, you know, I mean so so there's a couple of things here. One of them is all of this would depend on Abbott having legal access to documents sealed by a federal judge. So the first thing is to find out whether Abbott, because of his standing in the case as the attorney for the state, could look at him as they are, or whether the federal judge, in this case it's Sam Sparks here in Austin, if the federal judge would either lift the seal or allow Abbott to look in and, and, and leave it sealed to the public. So the first thing is, can, can he look at the documents? Second thing is, is there a case here? Is there some reason to think that the state might be able to get some money. Politically, I mean, you know, for Abbott, it wouldn't necessarily hurt a Republican to snap a trial lawyer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you could get to that, you know, I don't think you can get to that really, really quickly. Uh, Abbott is going to be a candidate at least for the next 14 months until the November election. I'm assuming he gets through the primary in March. Um, so I'm not sure it has an immediate benefit. At the same time, I'm not sure Abbott has any reason other than it's a distraction not to try if the stuff if this is there, mm -hmm. you know, if the, if there's a chance that the state might have access to some or all of that three point two billion dollars that's otherwise going to those trial lawyers. Why, why is Morales still pushing this? Uh, he it's he, been a, it's been ten years. 
Right. Yeah, he has sort of a two-step thing here. One of them is that, you know, he he says just flat out, you know, I was guilty. I did the things that they said I should I did. I broke the law. I should have gone to federal jail. That was, you know, all I'm not protesting that. I'm not trying to clear my name, but there w- there is involved in the stuff, you know, that did eventually send me to jail. There was he he thinks some improprieties committed by those lawyers that ought to come to light. Um I don't think he has a way to personally profit from this, which is going to be the other question and, you know, not completely answered. I haven't found a way that he would personally profit from this. Uh, he doesn't practice law anymore. Um, it, is this so. a way to sanitize his reputation a little for what some people consider is Democrats being more in play four years from now or, or six years from now or whatever? I don't know. It's hard to read the motives. I mean, it really is. You know, Dan Morales is an interesting guy. He's really smart, but he's a strange cat, and he was always kind of a strange cat in politics. You never could figure out exactly which direction he was going to go. For example, it was um, he was the attorney general who settled the Hopwood case with the University of Texas, and a lot of Democrats at the time thought he was settling that case against the interests of liberals and Democrats and minorities. And um, you know, he, he he's not. Predictable. The Hopwood case is what essentially got rid of uh, affirmative action, race-based admissions yeah. at the University of Texas, right? And uh, which led to the ten percent law, which now is bringing down the uh, public schools in the rankings. <laughs> see, see how he just wrapped all of that up. Yeah. Um, so you know, he, his motives are hard to hard to figure out here. The, oh, you know, can so, I also just quickly say that Northwestern was ranked twelfth this year? Oh, so North Tex- North, Northwestern outranked Vanderbilt and Rice. Well, there you have it. So that's what were you saying? Ramshaw gets a halo. Um, I so I already had one. So so his um, it's shinier now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so Morales's motives are hard to figure out. But you know, there's the, the the first question is, so wait, does Texas get some more money out of this? Is there is there a case here? And you know, everybody's nose twitches a little bit when there's a big package of sealed documents. What's in there? You know, um, maybe there's a Christmas present. So we'll see how it plays out. Well, uh, let's move on to the people that want the seat that Morales used to have. Then why don't we? And uh, I guess specifically the candidate for attorney general that has gotten the most attention this last couple of weeks is Barry Smitherman. Is that fair to say, do you think? Probably. Uh, I mean, you know, other than Dan Branch's selfies in front of El Paso Mexican food joints. uh That was a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) But Smitherman, who is a railroad commissioner, former PUC chairman, uh, and is running for attorney general – he he's sort of gotten a lot of national attention for his comments uh, in a couple of different cases. One was a speech uh, about – it was to the Texas Alliance for Life and it was about uh, the need to procreate more. He was saying people should get, ma- get married younger. They should have more children. Uh, he said that the U.S. essentially had sort of opted into a one-child policy a la China. And he also uh, sort of made an offhand comment that he thinks that – uh, many of the aborted uh, fetuses yeah, would have many voted of the Republican. Unborn children would have voted Republican, and so he. We asked the campaign for his methodology in figuring that. They said it was just statistics. Most Texans vote Republican. He was talking about the tex- the Texan fetuses, so they would have voted Republican. But if you play this out, <laughs> which is kind of really? complicated. <laughs> Go ahead. Well. If you're assuming that those – so were those fetuses' parents Democrats? Is that people, what we're assuming? People often tend to vote the way their parents voted. That is true. 
This is just a it is it is just such a strange thing to say. And the whole speech I found quite strange. Is this the is and not comparing Dan Branch to Dewhurst, but is this the Ted Cruz method of running to the far right to win a primary? Well, I think well, certainly. I, I, it's definitely on the right, but I think Barry Smitherman is also on the right, sort of naturally. And it's and he uh, has the he was speaking to the Texas Alliance for Life, so he was talking about birth issues. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it was right, it wasn't a campaign promise that he would make all the young children get married and have babies. My favorite quote from the whole thing was he was talking about um, premarital sex, and he said, "If your activity results in a situation, get married." <laughs> it was a weird speech. It was well, a totally weird. And then right on the heels and of that. And have a lot of kids. That's the other thing. He said, you know, basically like start young and have a lot of kids. Right. Right on the heels of that, he got uh, – he did an interview with WorldNet Daily uh, in which he said that he's always sort of – in all of his government roles, he sort of plans for the day when Texas is an independent nation or to strengthen it so it can be an independent nation. And he got a lot of attention for that. Uh, and, this you know, I don't of, know – This what, is sort of like the echo of Rick Perry's, you know – if, if we want to leave, we can. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it doesn't. He didn't necessarily necessarily say we are on our way out of the country. He just said we should be a strong state, right? Couldn't our, you just spin it that way? Just said lifeboats ready. <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> just in case there's a zombie apocalypse, we'll be able to seal the borders and secure ourselves. I think there are clearly some people who have read these speeches and the speech in the interview and thought, well, this is a bit strange. But is it anything that actually hurts them in a Republican primary? Or it depends on what is what is um, opponents make of it. I mean, you know, when we get so to the, far, not very so far, much. Yeah, not much at all. When we get to the point where we're actually talking about um, when we're out of the finance primary, they're raising money. So they are talking about this, but they're not talking about it in public. They're talking about it to all the people that they raise money from. When Dan Branch and Ken Paxton are talking about Barry Smitherman to, you know, Daddy and Mommy Warbucks about you know who give money to political campaigns, they're certainly mentioning the Smitherman stuff and saying, you know, maybe there's a vulnerability here. Maybe the guy's not guarded enough in what he says. He's not a careful politician, yada, yada, yada. When we get to the public part of the primaries in December and January, when that really starts to kick up, um, then we'll find out whether they're grabbing these tapes and throwing them up on their their TV spots, you know, when they're competing with the David Dewhurst Allen police tape on, on television. Um, but with the, with the Dewhurst police tape, you can say he shouldn't have done that. I mean, with the Smitherman thing, what what can you really argue? Texas should be dependent on the rest of the country. Well, the question is going to be: if, if, kids if, shouldn't are any get of the things that he kids? said out of tune with what the voters in the Republican primary want to hear? And, and if he's saying no. things that, well, I mean, that's that's the that's the calculation they're going to make. Right. If if what he's saying is harmonious in a Republican primary, they won't talk about it. And if it. Um, it, it may become an issue later if he is the guy who emerges from a Republican primary and if there's a Democratic candidate. You know, it's the kind of thing from a Republican primary that a Democrat would use later on for his immediate stuff. You know, he may look at this and say, inside the Republican primary, this all works. Right. I mean, that's a whole lot of if-thens. You were yeah. assuming there would even be a Democratic contender for that seat. Right, right. Which at this point— Which we should know— well, in a few weeks, right? I, you know, I, once Wendy Davis makes her decision, we're supposed to get all these announcements. A flood oh, of, everybody, flood flood of, of announcements. Every, everybody down ballast going to going to have <laughs> to look at this and say a wave of sarcasm. Right. <laughs> it, everybody, in the, everybody who looks at this is going to have to say, okay, so even if Wendy Davis runs, if she wins or loses, does she pull enough people to the polls that another Democrat down ballot 
might have a shot in the sort of the mold of, you know, Clayton Williams loses the governor's race, but Rick Perry wins the agriculture commission race. And that's the first part. The second part is do they have the money to do it? And the third part is going to be some calculation that each candidate's going to have to make on the Democratic side to figure out whether the Republicans are going to pick somebody who's acceptable to a Republican primary electorate, but not to a general election electorate. And, you know, those are, again, that's a bunch of ifs. Um, I don't know how many people are going to pile into these races or not. There's conversation around Letitia Vandepute for lieutenant governor, but I haven't heard a lot no, it's been very, further down very the ballot. Quiet. And I know some of the Mike groups. Collier for control, comptroller. Right. I know uh, some of the groups who fund, you know, female Democrats have been, while they've had lots of conversations around the Wendy Davis stuff, there is has not been hardly any outreach, um, you know, on the Vandepute side. So that, that would, may would some be. of the groups include Annie's List? <laughs> what are the groups that fund female Democrats? Well, I mean, there's groups at the national level, too. Yeah, there's who a are lot of totally, Emily's List. Yeah. And, uh, oh, not, not our Emily, but, you know, right. Emily's List and Annie's I List. I wish I had a list right. long enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't want to get on your on Emily's List. David, <laughs> that's, 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 that's the other calculation is if you are another Democrat and you want to run on the statewide Texas ballot, is anybody going to be able to raise money or is all the money going to go to Wendy? Right. And Can she share? Can she be like, I've got all this money here? You I go. don't think she's going to be in a position to share. I think she's going to be fully employed. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's going to be, you know – if you prosecute a race like that, you're not going to be able to worry about all the other people on the ballot. You're going to say, I hope I can create enough of a tailwind to bring some other people into office. But Right. I mean, what does Abbott, Abbott have now? $12 million? $21 million. $21 million. Oh, yeah. And that was at mid-year. I had that just north, reversed. That's about Northwestern well, education. I, you know, I did not major in math. <laughs> and, that was, and that was at mid-year. He's raised a considerable amount of money since then without showing his um, – they haven't had to reveal cash in hand. Well, are there any um, – as we are – just continue because there's nothing else to do. Speculate on who might be running. Um, <laughs> is there Speak uh, for yourself? Don't have much to do. <laughs> well, I meant I meant in terms of this race, uh, or in terms of the 2014 campaign. In terms uh, of the podcast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are there any you know four year uh, four term? Excuse me, four year term Democrats in the Senate that already have some money that might want to run? Does Kirk Watson want to run for anything? I sure. I don't know. I think he's one of the people making that calculation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is there a reason to do this? If you run this year and you don't win, is that a career builder or a career ender? I mean, they've all got to kind of sit down and, you know, figure that out. Figure that out. Well, can can we go back over to the Republicans and talk about piling into a race? Uh, We were talking about Smitherman just a second ago. One guy that's decided to run for his seat is Wayne Christian. Uh, yeah, were we expecting his return? No, and I wasn't it's expecting. A weird late announce. Seems like a late-ish announcement. Well, it's not late. I mean, they don't have to announce until. The only reason to announce now is to is to run the finance primary mm-hmm. to raise money. If if you have the money or you think you can raise the money later because the candidates now are weak, you can wait all the way till the end. You know, filing will begin in the first week of December and go probably to the one. I don't know the exact day, but one of the in the first week of January. You can wait. The field for Railroad Commission had, I think, five Republicans in it already, and none of them are well-known. And I think Wayne Christian looked at it and said, you know, I'm going to jump into that race because nobody's well-known. I've been able to raise money before. There's some talk that he's been able to raise some money in East Texas that hmm. primes the pump here. And um, Can you give a quick bio on who Wayne Christian is? Wayne Christian is a former – member of the Texas House. He ran for a newly created seat in Congress that um, Louis Gohmert won. And so he was out of the House for one term and then um, got elected back in. He got beat in 2012 by Chris Patty. 
and after his district was redrawn in a new redistricting. Um, he was the leader, I think, of the – I'm going to mess this up – the conservative coalition in the House, one of the conservative groups in the House. Um, he's, you know, he's been around for a while. He, he, um, he's from East Texas. He's from Center. He's never run statewide, but neither has anybody else in that race. And, and, well, and he um, got lampooned in uh, Doonesbury, correct, for uh, right. uh, 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 women's health issues. He, he kind of led the charge to defund Planned Parenthood in 2011. Is that right. correct? Yeah. Well, and, uh, we were talking about Smitherman's recent comments and sort of the attention they've gotten. I mean, I've got to say that Wayne Christian has said, given some of the strangest speeches I've heard in my three legislative sessions – and I'm sure, I'm sure Ray Keller and Becky Berger and Stephanie Carter and all the rest of them in that race are going to be reminding us of everything Wayne Christian ever oh, yeah. said. There was a, the great one was when he said that he had experienced racism because he was benched on his high school basketball team right. because, because, quote, white men can't jump, was that, quote. Was that really part of the quote? Yeah. I think I've heard that line before. He's kind of short, too. <laughs> <laughs> there well, goes Ross uh, discriminating against him again. We'll also uh, we'll also have uh, an update on the Supreme Court justice situation before we end this podcast. Wallace Jefferson is retiring or resigning rather at the end of the month. Hasn't said what he's going to do next, but um, he says he won't be running for office again. Rick Perry responded to that by appointing Nathan Hecht, the longest serving member of the court. He's about to be the longest serving in history. I think in January or February, he'll pass Joe Greenhill um, as the longest serving member of the Texas Supreme Court. Was this a surprise at all? It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, there was a lot of speculation around uh, Eva Guzman Mm -hmm. and Don Willett and and also Jeff Boyd, who was Perry's former chief of staff, who are all he's a recent arrival, though, members of the members of the court. Uh, Perry went this way, and then there was a little bit of speculation for you know four or five minutes that Hecht would be doing a valedictory run and then would be retiring at the end of this. I talked to him yesterday. We're taping this on, on Wednesday. I talked to him yesterday, and he said he's going to run for a full six years as chief justice in the 2014 election. So, so now there's still an opening on the court. Jefferson's position is filled by Hecht. Hecht's position is now open, and Perry has another appointment to make. That person will run for the remainder of of Hecht's term in 2014. How, how dramatically different a state will Texas be when we come back for the start of the legislative session in 2015? Well, all these changes, you have a new uh, chief justice on the Supreme Court. You're going to have a new governor. Uh, Potentially a new lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. Um, new attorney depend, general. Depending on how the, how the House elections go, the same or a new speaker. I mean, everything's in play in a way that it hadn't been in a long time. It, it, one, of the, one of the sort of the true facts about Texas government, sort of the everybody knows conventional wisdom things, has always been that this is a weak governor state, that the governor's powers are pretty constrained. And Rick Perry has, mostly by virtue of his term in office and his ability to appoint boards and name former aides and everything to management positions in all the big agencies, has really extended the reach and the control of the governor's office. And you know, one of the questions after he leaves is going to be, do we snap back to weak governor system? Right. How loyal are those people, you know, to, to the next governor right. who comes in? You know, but in, so, in some ways, by virtue, the fact that they all, you'd assume, share the same sort of political stripes. I mean, I would be surprised if anybody diverged that far from, you know, 
from the loyalty to the next governor. But it's still you still want to have your guy, right? I mean, yeah. right. So it's not just the elected officials. I mean, if with a new governor, you're looking at a bunch of appointed positions that could likely change, if not immediately, in the near. Right. It takes, it takes six years to turn over all the appointments. You know, it takes six years for them to all expire. A governor's term is only four years long. It takes a while. And, you know, so the question here is, you know, if, if Abbott were elected governor, would the Perry appointees be as loyal to Abbott as they have been to Perry? If Davis were elected governor or somebody else like that, you know, I've, you know, obviously we've got an ideological difference and a whole change. It's an opportunity if they if they take it and if everything falls right for other statewide officials and for the legislative leaders, the lieutenant governor and the speaker, to grab some control back. Right. Well, I just want to mention real quickly <laughs> uh, that Alabama's ranked I knew 86. It was be Alabama. <laughs> As 86. a football team, I thought they were. That's, no. that's way down in the. I wasn't, I, you know, they they're right. ranked somewhere. Is that number higher. supposed to Is be that, impressive or not? Oh no, not well. Is I that think, on the Washington I think monthly it explains list? Explains a lot about the way I, you know, perform during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Depressed. Wow. Oh. Well, if you have any uh, questions or uh, uplifting comments for Ben, <laughs> please send them to Tribcast. I'll be just fine after we beat A&M. Tribcast at <laughs> texastribune.org. You're going to get us some angry emails with that sort of chatter. I... Well, at least they'll come to you and not the rest of us. <laughs> That's true. That's right. I, don't, I have no access to the Tribcast <laughs> email. Um, well, good. <laughs> On behalf of Emily, Ben, Ross, and our producer Todd, this is Reeve. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Let me tell you what's happening tonight. Poison. We're moving to poison.